Welcome to Trillo Talk. This is a podcast dedicated to topics that we think are important to the profession of medical writing. And our goal is to bring topical issues to the forefront and hopefully spark conversations in the wider domain about these issues. I'm Julia Fianich Klaproth, Senior Partner at Trilogy Writing and Consulting. And I'm here today with Angela Winier, Senior Director and Medical Writing Lead for Rare Disease at Pfizer. Good to have you here with me today, Angela. It's so great to be with you again, Julie. I always like working with you. Oh, same, same back. So Angela and I have been actively involved in the AMWA committee created to assess and better demonstrate the value of medical writing. And one objective of that work was to collect information using surveys sent to regulators and medical writers about perceived document quality and how medical writers contribute to that quality. And in fact, three articles have been published based on this work so far. There were two summaries of the outcomes of those surveys and an article about how to optimize the value of medical writing, which Angela and I were all were heavily involved in. And you can find these articles in the AMWA journal as well as the EMWA journal. And I highly recommend them because they're very interesting reads. They provide some very valuable material on these topics. But one of the topics that Angela and I have focused on in particular is understanding the role of medical writers in a leadership role and the importance of training medical writers to function as leaders. So I think that would be a good place for us to start today. Angela, in your opinion, surveys tell us about medical writer value and leadership. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It was fun to know that what we know to be true was actually proven <laughs> to be true by the surveys. <laughs> when we when we gave surveys and questions and interviews of regulators, and I think there was a sample size of over 30, when we did that, we know that they care about clarity of their documents and they care about clear rationale of the documents, but we also know that they appreciate when there are formal organizations that support medical writing at pharma companies and they cited that they can they can tell you know the submission quality is so much better when medical writers are involved and in fact they had this great quote that said you know medical writers have a great and positive influence on document quality so the regulators here which is our ultimate end user right yeah so, yeah exactly <laughs> but um when you when you ask the medical writers well what do they hear what is the kind of feedback that they get from their teams it really is similar. The teams are talking about it's your leadership of the project. It's your direction of what you're doing. It's your great collaboration skills. Those are the things that we value. And yeah. that's really refreshing. It's not just about our technical ability to work word. You know, yeah. it's about yeah. us being a strategic leader. And the exactly. other part I thought was interesting in the medical writer surveys, they, we asked, what do you want more training for? And the number one item was leadership, followed by closely related project management. So as an industry, we get that being a strategic leader is absolutely essential to success. And thankfully, the regulators see that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we definitely agree that leadership skills are needed for medical writers. But and, and, and medical writers function as leaders in multiple domains. 
right? It's not just, there's the classic leadership where you're a line manager and you've got your group, but actually just, I'd say just in quotations, obviously, just as medical writers, when we're running our teams, we're, we're at the center of the vortex of these teams, often pulling everything together. We are leaders. And I see um, when I look at different different projects that are running in my company, and I see some that are just acing it, they're running along great, and there are some that are kind of floundering. Often it hinges on the ones where the medical writers really acknowledge and recognize their role as leaders and step into it, right? Yeah. So it's not just about line management. That's an important part of leadership, which I think a lot of brains go to, but it's also very much leaders as medical writers in the field. Yeah, no, no, I, to- I totally agree. I think it's too easy to simplify leadership as only when you have direct reports. Exactly. But it's exactly. it's leader of that pipeline project. It's leader of initiative improvement. You know, it's leader as mentor to more junior writers. There are, you know, so many opportunities for leadership during the course yeah. of the day. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think... And an important aspect of our function, if we step into teams as leaders, as people who come in with the leadership skills, is that we're func- functioning as a at a strategic level on those teams, as opposed to just being transactional, right? right. We're the medical writer in the room that somebody throws something at to go and fix the, the grammar or something, you know, as opposed to coming in as a valued expert. Right. I know right. we start consulting in the name of our company, pure medical writing company, but we put consulting in because we had multiple teams actually say to us in the beginning, no, 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 you're more than medical writers, you're consultants. And we thought, no, wait, that's what medical writers should be. That's what medical writers yeah. are. If you step oh. into it. Yeah, no, 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 I absolutely agree. But, you know, best laid plans, right? Like best laid plans, you and I have talked about this a lot. You get a medic writer embedded really early, like clinical development plan stage, first protocol stage, IB development, you place them early. But we know how this works. Like you have clients come in to be rescued last second. Here at Pfizer, we have projects that come out of the woodwork that need assistance. But I always still tell writers, like, do your homework, Try to catch up on the asset, learn your stakeholders, you know, don't just come in and be the editor. You should yeah. be a scientific writer who is a tr- strategic player, even if you came in five minutes ago. So it's it's on the medical writer to make sure that they embed so that they can show the kind of value that that team needs. So I absolutely agree. Strategic. Absolutely. And, and that comes from our experience and our expertise, right? I mean, to be a leader, that, that's a big thats a big word. You don't start <laughs> out as a leader, right? On day one as a medical writer, you don't walk through the door and go, right, I'm leading the show. Yeah. But the medical writers who have the years of experience behind them, the breadth of knowledge, and they bring all of that to the table, they're functioning as leaders from a place of confidence and conviction in their ability yeah. to really add value, right? So right. it's it's important to think about medical writers functioning in that way, that they're coming to the table as subject matter experts in their own right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that's where it gets incumbent on the people who do have the responsibility for directing 
team development, that we've offered the right kind of training environment, that we've offered the right kind of mentoring, shadowing, whatever is needed so that we're setting that writer up to be a successful leader on the team. Absolutely. I mean, a part of this this topic that I know you and I have been speaking about is not only why is it important to be leaders, but how do we train? How do we train leaders? How do we make sure that medical writers are coming up into that? And I think an important aspect of it is providing them with a safe space to spread their wings in practice, mm-hmm. you know, giving them what I like to call the practice pitch. Um, I, I, I talk about this in one of the seminars I give. You know, I, I used to be a competitive gymnast. And oh, I didn't know that about you. Ah, yeah, I did back a long, long time ago. And, um, you know, I won some medals and I was fairly good in my region, but I spent hours practicing and I would go to the gym every day and I had a coach who was there to catch me when I would, you know, fly off the bars and didn't make it right. And I had other people around me who would give me inspiration. I watched them, I'd see them doing it. And for me, All of those things apply equally to learning any role or any function or any skill. And I think that's the type of thing that people often don't think about if you're training a leader. Like, yeah, you need to give them a chance to practice, too. You need to give them a chance to watch people doing it well. So Mm -hmm. let them shadow. Let them shadow other good leads. If you have someone who you see struggling, got a really good lead over here. Tell the one to shadow the other a bit so they can see how how do you do that? How do you manage difficult teams and things like that? And also make sure that they know that it's it's okay. It's not only okay, it's important to fail because you learn through making mistakes. Yeah, no, absolutely. That safe environment, especially during training or even an experienced rider facing a new challenging paradigm. We don't have the, you know, the stock solution for this one. Just try. And each time we try and we don't quite get there, we're learning something. So no, I I absolutely agree. Safe environment is key. You know, I thought of something though while you were talking, you know, I agree having a mentor practicing, getting a medical writer set up is really important. But you and I have talked over the years about different theories on this. You know, I have a library of Malcolm Gladwell. I love <laughs> his writings. You know, I know I agree. So, so I was an outlier fan for a very long time because that really suggests, hey, specialize. You, yeah. you get your proverbial 10,000 hours in and you got it. And so I know here at Pfizer, Early on, that's what we did. Specialize. You are an amazing CSR writer. You are an amazing protocol writer. You are an incredible regulatory submission developer. And so stay in your lane because you're really good at it. (laughs) But, you know, we're learning that you're actually a better problem solver if you have a more generalized training because every varied experience gives you an idea on how to tackle that new novel solution. So I know at Pfizer, we've made a shift and I, you've you've always been there <laughs> to be uh, more generalized. Yeah. So yeah. Train in, end to end like that. Well, and that so brings important. us back to the whole confidence and conviction piece I was talking about before. Right. If how really be recognized and, and seen as a leader, if you only know one slice of the pie, as soon as it goes outside of that, you're going to be lost. You're going to be like, Oh, well, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I don't know what we'd normally do in that. And we we feel exactly the same way that it's it's really important to give people breadth of experience, let them touch on lots of things. Now, there's an interesting balance there, though, in terms of helping people learn and grow. Yeah. So you doing one of everything doesn't make you an expert either. You have to do a series of something like probably, you know, the first CSR you write, you're like, whoa, what are all these pieces? After about the third or fourth, the piece to settle into place and you can kind of put your head up and start to look at bigger picture. And after maybe fifth right. or sixth, you're really getting into the flow of, okay, this is what a CSR is about. And you actually need that on every document type. You need to do six or seven or eight IBs and six or seven or eight dossiers, you know, so that at the end, you've got enough experience to be able to speak with that expertise and confidence as the leader in the room. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. But I do think even as you're sampling, you're in your training and you're sampling documents as you go, it's not just about learning the document types. It's also learning, okay, so we have to develop the study design in this way in order to get this outcome, in order to understand this safety issue, which is something that you're touching on with all the document types. So you're starting to get a better sense of what is clinical development? You know, what yeah. is my part? In documenting it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's I had a writer just last week tell me I I was on vacation. She's like, I really wanted to reach out to you, but I I didn't. And I was expecting to hear because the following thing went wrong. She's like, I had the best time last week doing an EUCTR, you know, request for information project for a protocol. I think it has like <clears> 70 <throat> queries, but the writer is saying I had the best time. Like she had yeah. light bulb moments, yes. you know, about protocols. Yes. And it was, it was so great to see her enthusiasm and it was a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do. do you know what that, that brings up a point that um, I think is also really important in training leaders actually it's in training anybody but and in being a leader is giving people the space to go out and do things and solve problems on their own yeah. i know i i made the mistake for years when i first became a leader thinking i have to that my job is to fix everybody's problems right but actually you smother people when you do that and yeah. you, you you have to let, let people Go out there and, and yes, make mistakes. That's part of it. But I think your job as a leader is to coach people and guide people so that they can go fix problems on their own. Yeah, I agree. And you and I have talked about this before. I've been a leader for a long time, too, and I'm still working on this. I, I've i learned you through this great book called Liz Wiseman by Liz Wiseman called Multipliers. I've learned that I'm a rescuer. I hmm. am a protector. I feel like, or I have felt like, it's part of my job to solve that problem so that the writer doesn't have to face it. I've done that for years, or it's part of my job to protect them from some of the, you know, more negative aspects of our wider organization, because politically, I don't want to subject them to that. And it's a, I need, to, I'm learning sometimes yeah. what I don't do is more powerful than what I do do as far as their development. Yeah. Like you said, give them the chance to provide the solution. Give them the chance to give the ideas. Give them a chance to flail a little bit 
and experience what that's like to have what can perceived as negative pressure, you know, because all of it is part of our development. Absolutely. And if they never do that, they're never really going to be confident as leaders because there's going to be a time as a leader where they're going to be confronted with something like that and they're going to have to know how to deal with it and they're going to need the experience under their belt. And if we shield them from it all the time, well, they're never going to grow in that way. No, 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 absolutely. I have my teenagers voices in my head going, mom, I'm not a child anymore. I can do this on my own. (laughs) And actually it's exactly the same thing, right? You have these professionals who we, we need to empower to step into facing the dangers, right? That's part of learning who you are and what you can do. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, just this week, I was thinking about a really big, cool project that I may give someone. And that person is so incredibly capable. But today, right this moment, does the person know everything that's going to be needed in order to execute on that? No, but I have 100% confidence that... Yeah the writer will grow into the role. I just have to offer the person the opportunity. So I'm getting better at this. (laughs) I'm not going to be what Liz calls the accidental, she's so sweet, accidental diminisher. I'm, you know, trying to be a better multiplier. Excellent. Excellent. There's one other thing that I, is an important topic for me um, when thinking about, you know, what, what to teach leaders and how to be a good leader. And that is our role as role models. Um, Because people are watching us and seeing how we're behaving, how we're taking care of ourselves. Um, We're always talking about quality of life and people should balance things out. But we need to make sure that we as leaders are doing that as well, because that's also how you're teaching, right? You're you're passing on to the people learning from you. Well, this is what a leader is. A leader is somebody who never takes weekends and works all evenings. Or the opposite. I can see that she's a perfectly functional leader. She's successful. And actually, she sleeps. You know? <laughs> she, she, goes to her, she goes to her child's sporting event. Exactly. You know? Exactly. She, she takes off early to volunteer for something, goes on a planned vacation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I actually had somebody say to me recently, I play guitar. And um, I had somebody say to me recently, you you play guitar? When do you have time to do that? And I said, well, I play it in the evenings. I don't work <laughs> all night long. Yeah. And, you know, it was a bit of, I saw it on her face. It was a bit of a light bulb moment. It was like, oh, gosh, Julia... Julia sits and plays the guitar in the evening, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um, an important part. I do do too. I do too. And I'm going to admit publicly, I cyberstalk this amazing woman called Ariana Huffington. (laughs) I love her. She started the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, which is an incredible wellness company, Um, women's lean-in circles, which we do here at Pfizer for leadership training. I love her. She had this incredible interview last year where she talked about what is the definition of peak performance? And after I read the interview and I had Ariana's answers, I asked my team, what's the definition of peak performance? What do you think it is? And they gave me, you know, the Pfizer answer. Um, technical expertise, knowledge of the assets, you know, strong soft skills. That's what they expected me to want to hear. But when Ariana 
uh, articulated so beautifully is that is exactly half of the definition of peak performance. The rest of that definition is about downtime and taking time to recharge and having work-life balance. So it is it is half traditional technical expertise and half understanding that you frankly need a control alt delete of your personal life in order to be incredibly functional, you know, yes. in your professional life. You need to sleep. You need to have downtime. If you don't, your brain will get to a point where it is just flat, right? And you are not functioning at your peak performance at all. And in, in, in fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, one last thing on that point, I, I read another thing that was like, oh, wow. Um, when you're chased by a lion and you haven't been chased by a lion. Have I've you? never been chased yeah. by a lion. Not yet. Okay. Fortunately. I didn't think so. <laughs> but but if you were, <laughs> your prefrontal cortex architecture actually gets modified because you've got to just run. You can't think about anything else. It's all about survival. You know, it's an evolutionary mm -hmm. instinct, the fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So they've done studies to look at our brains when we're under acute stress and acute stress being, hey, do that CSR in half the time. Hey, we want to cut, you know, by three years, our time from first in human to approval. Um, acute stress are those things. And the architectural changes to your prefrontal cortex are very similar to being chased by a lion. So wow. your your decision making is diminished. You know, your focus is um not where it should be. And all of that is remedied by taking that time to recharge, walk away mm -hmm. from the computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's essential. So, well, this has been a great conversation. As always, I enjoy talking to you about all of these ideas. And um, yeah, I'll have to have you back another time to pick up on this again. I would love that, Julia. You know, you're my favorite partner in life, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> we have become a regular. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for inviting you. me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Take care. Okay, All right, bye. So thank you for listening to Trilla Talk today. If you enjoyed it, please come back and listen to us again. If you have feedback on this or any of our sessions, we would love to hear it. In addition, if you have ideas for future topics that you'd like us to cover, particularly something you think the community should be talking about, let us know. We would like this to be an ongoing conversation with medical writers at large. And you can send us comments on our Twitter feed or on our LinkedIn page. Just a reminder, you can find all our episodes of the Trilla Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and trilogywriting.com backslash Trillotalk. Have a good rest of your day. <laughs>